GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. So it's a pleasure today on the podcast uh, to welcome Yevgeny Filanovsky, otherwise uh, known as Gene. Um, And it's a great pleasure to have Gene with us today, and not least because most of our podcast guests so far have been from Australia for very good reasons. But Gene is in uh, Canada, and he's a very interesting beast because like the rest of us, he's a GP. Um, but he's in full-time um, skin cancer medicine. And um, I, I hazard to think that most of our Australian listeners would, would be surprised about that. So, Gene, may, maybe just um, before we jump directly into the, the therapies, just give us a, uh, a short version of the practice that you're in and the colleagues that you have, because I think there's great interest in how your services uh, i've had a good look at your website but our listeners won't have they'll be interested to know uh, what what the clinic is like that you work in mm-hmm. um yeah so david i'm first off i'm based in a community called nanaimo which is on uh, vancouver island uh, many of your listeners will be familiar with the city of vancouver nanaimo is about two hours away by ferry Uh, I arrived here 15 years ago to work at the regional hospital. I completed a residency in family medicine in 2001, but I never did any family practice. Uh, I went directly uh, into further training in emergency medicine, spent my first career as an ER doc and a trauma team leader. Uh, And then in 2014, I started doing a day a month of skin biopsies and small excisions. Uh, My intent was just to cut back on shift work a bit, but the demand was huge. Uh, And over the course of the year, I kept getting asked to come in more often. Uh, I've always liked doing various procedures, so I enjoyed the work itself. But it's the patients who drew me in, uh, as opposed to the high-pressure, high-anxiety environment of the ER. A skin cancer surgery is a fairly well-defined 15- or 20-minute interaction. There's time for a casual conversation. And I found I really enjoyed getting to know my patients and hearing their stories. So, yeah, yeah, so now I'm doing full-time Skin Cancer Medicine. Uh, our clinic is called Skin Care West on uh, Vancouver Island here. And uh, we're a team of eight physicians, um, three dermatologists, uh, four family physicians who do uh, a mix of, of uh, dermatology and other things. And then we have one proceduralist who comes in. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting. We'll move on to the, the specific clinical topics in a moment. But as, as our listeners would appreciate here in Australia, this, um, well, I won't say it, it, this doesn't happen because there are settings where dermatologists, a small number of settings where a dermatologist might have um, one or two GPs working in his or her clinic. And indeed, more and more dermatologists are using um, let's call it physician assistants in the broad term clinical assistants um, you know alongside to do to do various things but the sort of practice that you describe um, where it is as you say collegial and collaborative and and shared if you will um, it would be uh, would be most unusual here let me be politically appropriate and just put it that way so um, it, it's very, very interesting to see. And I, I would recommend that colleagues that are interested in looking at this to jump onto your website, which is very easy, skincarewest.com. So, Gene, let, let's talk a little bit about 
clinical. Um, I know you wanted to share um, a couple of a couple of topics, and and let, let's let's talk about these in turn. One is um, the use of the combination uh, of uh, five fluorouracil with uh, calcipotriol. Many of us use that here. Uh, have some some colleagues of mine have been using it for quite some time, but it's certainly very popular at the moment, and more and more people are starting to use it. What, what what's your experience, and what what what's your perspective? Well, a couple of things, I guess. The first is to say is that um, when like I when I went into training at UQ back in 2016, it really feels like AK went through a bit of a, a major paradigm shift. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk around melanoma and immunotherapies and things like that. We don't talk about AK as much. But a lot of the things that we thought about with AK in terms of looking for keratosis, treating keratotic lesions with cryo, those kinds of things were really challenged because AK has almost, you know, two, two different entities, right? One that's hyperkeratotic and one that's actually proliferative and growing downwards. And so as we started to understand that process, it became more and more clear that field therapy, first of all, is absolutely essential. You can't yeah. just treat. AK with cryo, you're not going to get anywhere. And so then the question became, well, which, which field therapy is, is the right one? And, yeah. uh, you, you know, because I went into skin cancer medicine with zero knowledge of, of skin cancer, really, I, I had been in acute care that whole time. I was very open to options, you know, and I started, I, I was using all available options initially. So I was learning about Imicomod and I did uh, daylight PDT. I still do. Uh, and yeah. 5-FU predominantly, a little bit of Picado. And so initially it wasn't quite clear. And then I would say, uh, you know, 2018, 2019, there's a, a New England Journal of Medicine article that many of your listeners will be very familiar with, right? Comparing 5-FU, Imicomod, PDT, and Inginal Mebutate. And, and 5-FU was very clearly uh, the dominant uh, treatment. And then yeah. there's um, Martin Weinstock in the um, in JAMA Dermatology around the same time, looking at uh, specifically at 5-FU and the reduction in uh, skin cancer, squamous cell cancer. He looked at basal cell cancer as well. And that was one of the first studies to really show that it worked on the endpoint that we really cared about. Um, later on, that became even more relevant when Picado got pulled off the market, right? So we were, right. We, right. were we were targeting keratosis and we were grading the effectiveness of these treatments by how well they cleared, you know, keratotic AK. But what we really uh, needed to care about and should be caring about is, does it reduce the incidence of squamous cell cancer? And so 5-FU, I think, you know, it, it really established itself as the foundation for treating actinic keratosis. Um, 5-FUC or, or FUCAL or, you know, there's different names used for yeah. it. The first, yeah. the first paper that came out on this was in 2017, right? It was a journal of clinical investigation and it was a single center study, I think 130 patients or so. And it really looked amazing. You know, you're achieving the same thing as, a, as multiple weeks of 5-FU in four days, uh, one of the things about those studies that established 5-FU is that they all used it for about four weeks, I believe. That's yeah. a hard, that's a hard sell for patients. You know, it's, yeah. it's not many patients tolerate four. Most of my patients tolerate two and they are 
not happy about it. So Agreed. to have a treatment that could achieve the same thing in four days looks so promising, but it was concerning a single center. We didn't have any experience with it. There's this deep experience with 5-FU. It's been around for, for decades. And so initially when it came out, um, what we would do is we would, we would kind of select out patients who are, we often label them as dabblers. So these are people you'd put them on 5-FU and they never, ever did a solid treatment. You know, they wouldn't do two weeks yep. or three weeks. They would do two or three days. And yep. then they'd get a little bit of erythema and they'd say, oh, that's great. They'd come back in and say, look, doctor, I did my treatment and, you, <laughs> and you, they're not any better. And you're saying, how, how long did you use it? Oh, three days, doctor, you know. Yeah. Um, so those, I just started switching them over. I figured, listen, if you're going to do a short course anyway, let's try this combined therapy and see if it works. Right. And, you know, it wasn't a large number of patients. So, but it, it looked promising at that point. And then what happened was in 2019, a second study came out as a follow-up study from the same group where they showed that it actually reduced the risk of squamous cell cancer. And it effectively was the same as the Weinstock paper a few years prior. So the numbers are smaller, but the, uh, the reduction is about the same. So it's like a 75% yeah. reduction, I believe, at least in yeah. the first, first year or two. So that, that was very interesting to us. It came out in 2019 and then COVID hit in 2020. Yep. And that, that really changed everything because uh, we, we went to video and um, now you're, everyone's wearing masks at home and they are suddenly, you know, they don't have time on their hands and suddenly they are extremely motivated to do field therapy, basically. Um, and it's, it was fairly straightforward to talk to people about doing a four day treatment. You know, when you're on the, on video or on the phone with them and you're doing photo sharing and you're saying, listen, just pick a time. It's just four days. We'll see how you do. And then, uh, and we would plan to see most of these people in the clinic afterwards, you know, COVID hit, everybody thought, well, this is only going to last for, you know, whatever length of time. Certainly right. the patients thought it was going to be like next month, I'll see you in the clinic, <laughs> you know, let's do this yeah. four day thing and I'll see you next month. You can check and see how it goes. So, um, so we really started using it a lot in, I would say early 2020 and then built up experience with it. Um, and now I would say we, you know, the, the majority of the patients we put through field therapy are on 5-FUC. Uh, we still use 5-FU. It still has a role. Um, we're still learning about 5-FUC. I would say there's a, there's a lot of, uh, information we don't have especially in terms of how to titrate it on different body areas um yeah. you know we know we use you know we know with 5-FU just because of historical use we kind of know it's going to take longer on thicker areas of skin it's going to take longer on the scalp and the face or longer on the arms than the than the face but we really don't have good good data for that with 5-FUC so we're kind of extrapolating from what we know with 5-FU I mean, it's very interesting, and 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 this mirrors my my experience. Um, I I've been using it a lot in the last six to eight months, um, where I am on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and and here um, there are very very high levels of um, of field cancerization, um, and and just like you say, I mean, I actually do not have cryotherapy in my rooms anymore. It's just pointless. Um, mm -hmm. In my view, there's just no place for it now 
in the treatment of actinic keratosis. So I, I just don't have a, a flask of, of cryotherapy anymore. And I'm certainly using, I, I like you, do, do photodynamic therapy, um, conventional under the LED and get very good results from that. But I'm very attracted to the uh, combination cream. I call it rapid solar repair. Got to call it something. So um, that's yeah. what I call it. Um, um, and I'm finding absolutely superb results on the face and the scalp and the decolletage. Um, you don't get as big a reaction on the arms, I'm finding, uh, even when you persist for, you know, even 10 days. But like you, I, and I agree with your evaluation there, I think, I think the jury's out. I mean, are we, are we seeing the reaction there? That is the arms reaction, and we get a positive benefit. It certainly seems to treat the actinic keratosis. It just doesn't give you a florid response. I've tried it on a few patients on their legs, but to me, in my experience, the same as Epidix, it's pretty much a waste of time on the legs. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this combination cream. And I, you know, I hope and, well, I'm sure there will be more and more studies coming out, observational studies that report, you know, real world outcomes in, in practice. I, I mean, you've, You've, you've treated a lot of patients, I think over a thousand. Have you or do you plan to audit those, those records at all and actually try and come up with some kind of sense of effectiveness in the real world, Gene? Yeah, I don't have a direct, I don't have a specific plan to audit. I should also, I should also say, I, you know, personally, I'm not sure I've treated thousands. As a group, I'm sure we've treated thousands. Um, okay. Yep. The... Uh, the, the only auditing I would say we do is that we do a lot of, we still do a lot of photo follow-up. Uh, we have a clinic yeah. uh, imaging app. So some of the pictures we're taking ourselves, some of the patients, but we, we really do follow these patients fairly closely. Uh, yeah. the, vast the vast majority, if I'm starting them on field therapy, I'm going to have a follow-up, you know, probably two months later or something like that. And then yeah. we send them uh, we send them uh, email based reminder links about their appointment. And there's there's a little little uh, hyperlink on how to take photographs, a uh, little presentation that they get linked to. So we actually get some very good photographs from the patients. And many of them take them during treatment, then they take them after. Some of them I also bring back into clinic after. We have a, a in our practice because we're we're the regional referral center. We actually have. Uh, a lot of patients with very severe actinic damage as well. I think yeah. probably a very comparable population to what you would see in Australia. Yeah. And uh, so some of these people are doing field therapy, you know, twice a year and we're excising multiple squamous cell cancers from them throughout the year. Right. So, so you, right. you get to kind of see them in the various stages of treatment. And uh, it, it, to me, it looks very much like five FU, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a faster yeah. version seems to achieve all of the same things. There's a few things I've learned over time with it. I, one of the things is I, I really emphasize with patients that it is an immunotherapy. It's not like, uh, you know, 5-FU plus, even though I, I, yeah. I tell that to them, I say, listen, it's, you know, you combine these two medications, it's quicker, it kind of speeds up the 5-FU. Yeah. But I also try to emphasize that by combining the two, 
you're actually triggering your immune system off. It's a, it's quite a different mechanism than 5-FU alone. Right. And that has, that has some implications. Like I, I, I see more variability with 5-FUC uh, than I do with 5-FU. It's very predictable. You know, put someone on 5-FU and you say you're going to do so many weeks and this is what's going to happen. With the yeah. combination, there are some people who are exquisitely sensitive to it. We've, we've had some patients yes. who within two days, they're, they're red, you know, they're crusty, they're done. Yeah. Um, and Agreed. then there, there, there are patients at the other end, too, who are not at all sensitive. And so you start tuning it up, you know, do four, oh, four days wasn't enough. Let's do six, oh, you know, eight, let's do eight. And I've actually found that some patients essentially fail the treatment. They, they need to go back to 5-FU because they end up doing half strength 5-FU for a shorter period than they would with full strength, right? Because you're trying to get right. them to do, well, let's try six or let's try eight when really what right. they need is two to three weeks of just good old 5-FU. So, so there's also that end of the spectrum as well. But for the majority of patients, it's a, it's a much more tolerable option. They, they can find a four-day window to do the treatment much easier than they can, uh, you know, to do two or three weeks. The recovery seems to be a little bit quicker, too, a little bit less yep. inflammatory response, and, and they like that. So, yeah. Agreed. So, so, so one other question, and then, and then we'll flip over to, to our, our other topic. But I, I'm, I, I agree with everything you said, and it resonates very much with my own practice, which, which is helpful. I, um, and, and I'm seeing exactly that spectrum of responses. A thought in my mind is for those that, if you will, fail the combination cream, I wonder whether the go-to treatment is, is PDT then for them, as opposed to Ephidix. Then the only reason I say that, and I'm you know, very keen to get your view, is Ephidix is so miserable. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Great, great question. So uh, going back to the uh, New England Journal study that we talked about, where they looked at PDT, angiomebutate, imicomod, 5-FU, it looked in that study like PDT was kind of a write-off, you know, yeah, and I, I, couldn't dis I couldn't disagree more, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. I believe it was a single cycle of treatment. There were some things in the PDT component of the protocol that could have been tuned. PDT has a benefit for specific types of patients, right? The patients who need the shortest possible treatment because they're working, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they need that window of time. They need to be able to plan. I'm going to do my treatment on day X. The patients yeah. who prefer to have a clinic applied treatment, they're nervous to do it yeah. themselves. Yeah. They, they would yeah. prefer to have a healthcare provider just, you know, guide them through it, those kinds of things. And I also think PDT, there's a lot of potential with PDT to adjust the protocol uh, and to get higher, yeah. higher rates of cure, right? So, so yep. I agree. I agree with you completely. I think imiquimod also has a role uh, for some patients, and I still do use it sometimes. Early yep. in my sort of skin cancer career, I was using the three point seven five percent Zyclera combination of imiquimod a fair bit, and I had great results with it. But stopped using it because the five fu calcipotriol is cheaper and shorter. Yeah. But some patients fail 5-FU, they do better on imiquimod, uh, so it has a role there. With PDT, I'm a big fan of daylight PDT for AK. 
Right. Uh, mo and mostly because of the pain factor with uh, field treatment with AK, it's hard to control the pain for some patients. A lot yeah. of patients who have, ha who have had it in the past kind of don't want to do it again. Um, sure. We, ha True. We, have nit we have nitrous oxide in our clinic. I don't know, have you, have you used nitrous oxide for pain control for these patients at all, David? No. Yeah, so there is, so the, the pain of PDT, as I'm, I'm sure you're well aware, can be hard to control sometimes when yeah. you're yeah. doing a field, right? You're trying to cool them down. You're trying to reassure sure. them. You're just trying to get them through the treatment. And topical treatments don't do much for you there. Uh, it's hard to control with the topical. But nitrous oxide actually works pretty well. And there's a couple of studies that have looked at it and, uh, and confirmed that. And that's something when I was in acute care in emergency medicine, I got very used to using nitrous oxide. I use it as an ER doc. I use it as a ski hill doc. And so, um, so we brought in, we have a tank at the clinic and... Uh, and if we can't get you through PDT, just through reassurance and cool air and all those things, then we, we give you some nitrous oxide to breathe. And that usually gets people through. That's, um, that's, that's really interesting. That's really, really good. Interesting to hear. Thank you for sharing that. But yeah, I do so, believe, like PD. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, no, I was just going to say, gonna, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I do. I do like daylight PDT a lot as an as an alternative to 5-FUC um, as a single day treatment, still applied in the clinic, but not painful. Very few patients complain of any discomfort with it, I mean, mild tingling. And they yeah. seem to really like the idea of, you know, I can come to the clinic, I have this stuff applied, and then um, I can go sit in my backyard or local park. We have some benches outside the clinic. And when we were designing the facility, we actually did some modeling of the sun and where it would hit the, the facility and kind of made sure we had benches in the right places. So people could sit just outside the clinic if they wanted to. That, that, that I like that as well. What do you, so what do you particularly tell them to do in terms of daylight exposure? What's your, what's your protocol? Great, great question. Yeah. So I've become increasingly comfortable with, with it over time in terms of extending some of those, the lengths of time that uh, the approved lengths of time. So initially I was very much, you know, 30 minutes and then two hours and that's that. But I, I found that um, a lot of patients don't live close enough to the clinic to get outdoors within 30 minutes. And yeah. uh, so I just, I just warn them, if you go too long, you go outside, it might hurt a little bit more, you, you know, uh, you're going to have more protoporphyrin in your skin, but nothing terrible is going to happen. So it's 40 minutes or whatever it takes to get to wherever you're going to do your treatment. That's fine. And then the other thing I've learned is that with our climate here, because of the temperature issues, going a little bit longer is not a bad idea, especially on days that are a little bit overcast. So I'll push yeah. people to, you know, two and a half hours or somewhere in there to, um, to make sure that they really do activate the protoporphyrin completely. Um, and then the other thing I do, which is off label is I, some patients I'll tell them, listen, why don't you come back and I'll put you under the red light. Yeah. Uh, so if, if it's a day where the weather is, I'm not sure the weather is going to cooperate and they're a little bit nervous that allows us not to have to cancel the clinic, uh, the PT clinic, they can still come in, they can do the daylight treatment, come back afterwards. 
And then we have a special uh, uh, instrument with a with a blue light. It's called the Lumio Two, and it's a 405 nanometer blue light with a filter, uh, which we can use to take a look and see how much uh, protoporphyrin nine there is, um, whether it's photobleach or not. And then we can put them under the light if there are signs that it's worth it. Okay. Yeah. No. That, well, that's very very interesting. We there are certainly um, doctors here in Australia who are very keen on PDT and use it a lot successfully. I'm, I, I don't, but only because I'm nervous. And here where we are, again, in sunny Queensland, the, the sun is just brutal. And, mm-hmm. and I, just get ner- I just get nervous about that. And, uh, you know, the dermal clinician that I work with, um, she and I have developed, uh, tweaked our protocol in such a way that I, we seem to be getting a very good reaction to PDT under the LED. And it certainly is uncomfortable for patients, but with her careful administration, it doesn't seem to be, well, we've certainly never had to stop treatment. And, you know, a little bit of a a cool mist and fan seems to get most people through, even if if a number of patients do note that, well, that, that was pretty stingy, you know, which in Australian means that was pretty awful, but they, they, they grin, bear it and get through it. So, it's, that's very, very interesting. Um, Gene, this has been really helpful. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to speak to you today. Pleasure's all mine. Um, I, I look forward to the next one. All the best. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.